0: Oh, good morning, church family. Man, I am so excited to be here with you this morning. It is an honor to stand on this pulpit and be able to preach God's word in a monsoon. Amen? (laughs) And so I want to open up God's word. But first let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and join us this morning. Father, we pray as we just beautifully worshiped God that you would open our eyes. God, that this morning, God, we may have heard this story our whole lives. God, it's it's a story that we're well familiar with, Noah and the flood. But God, I do pray this morning that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open to hear your word. That this would fall fresh in our lives, that we would think about these things in our own life, that we would contemplate our faith and our hope and our trust in you this morning. God, we need you. We desperately need you in this life and in our world. Father, we know that the implications of this text is that there will be many people that will not know you in this life. And God, that breaks our heart this morning. So Father, break our hearts as it breaks yours. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, go ahead and open it up to, I don't know, page six. DJ said page one, I might be on page six. Genesis chapter six. This morning, we are walking through Noah. And the Ark, a story that you may have heard your whole life. We think about this story as we think about children's stories. It's not hard to go online and you Google Noah's Ark. What are you gonna find? You're gonna find clip arts of little baby animals and little baby boats and real cute things. And as you think about that, oftentimes you think of, of children's stories and thinking about Noah and the Ark. And as I was Googling, you know how it happens, you get real distracted. I found some. Really funny clips. I, I, I'm just sorry. I had to enjoy these with you. This one is IKEA. I thought it was clever that, you know, at IKEA you have to build your own things. Obviously, so Noah went to IKEA and got some arc equipment. Uh, the next one I thought was clever. Uh, it said an arc. Noah, I said an arc. Obviously, it's an arch. All right. So yeah. Anyway, so uh, an arc. No, I said an arc. So. Um, that, I thought those were clever. As we talk about Noah and the ark, there's obviously a lot of things you guys may have heard or, or thought. But, but honestly, this morning, as we really dive into this text, it's not really a children's story, guys. As we really, if you, if you really read this text, if you walk through God's word, it's really a hard word this morning. And that's why I prayed like I did, because I really want us to hear this text for what it is. Noah and the ark is a story of God's wrath over sin. Man, whew, you woke up this morning for that one, didn't you, man? Really excited. God's wrath over sin. But really it's the better story of God's hope for sinners. And oftentimes when we read the story and we think about Noah's Ark, we, we, the question I think that comes to our mind first off is the question, why? Why would God judge the world. God's supposed to be loving. He's supposed to be kind. He's supposed to be Jesus with the babies. And the, the, I thought this was the, the nice Jesus, the nice God. And we read the story and he wipes out everyone but one family remaining on the earth. And we ask that question, why God? Why would you judge sin? And I think the better question we need to ask this morning is not why does God judge sin, but why does God save sinners? Why does God save any of us? When we really look at the, the heart, and we're going to look at this text in a minute, when you really see, when we open up our minds and our hearts, and we, it's not hard to see, why does God even choose Noah? Why? Why does God even save any of us? And I answered this question on the screen. The answer is to bring us and to bring them into covenant relationship with him. God's desire is that we would always be united with Him. DJ started this series last week talking about the garden. Adam and Eve in perfect, right relationship with God Himself, walking with Him in the cool of the day, perfectly knowing God, no sin, no struggle. And sin through the fruit and the tree came into the world and it corrupted everything. And we saw DJ explain that last week. If you are a guest of ours, I would challenge you to go watch that online. But God's desire is that he would be back in relationship with us. If you were to read chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, you see the next generation from Adam and Eve, they they have kids, and their kids, Cain and Abel, kill one another. Cain killing Abel, and then it continues to go and, things begin to be worse and worse and worse, and there's only a few people in the lineage to to Noah that actually follow God. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And if you will open your copy of God's Word in chapter 6, we see just how terrible it gets. I'm reading in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. This is the world in which Noah exists, the world that it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great, and every intention of his heart was wicked continually. This was the world that Noah lives in, but it's also the world that we live in. It is the world in which we turn on the news. I was sitting with my grandmother this week, turned on the news for 12 seconds and I'm like, we got to turn this off. Like, why would you sit here and watch this? Grandma, let's think about happier things, you know? And, and it's just, it is, it is what it is. It's, it feels so heavy and wicked and evil. And it's, it's, a, it's a gun violence here. It's a struggle here. It's, it's two streets over. We lost a police officer here. It's, it's wickedness continually. And we're not that far removed from Noah's situation even today. And what caught me this week as I was studying this text is he says that the Lord saw the wickedness of the man was great and every intention of the heart was evil continually. And it said it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. And this is what sin does. And this is where we have to make sure that we have a right understanding, a right place that you and I have a right place in the story of God and the right place in our own lives, that we understand that we are the covenant breakers, that we are the ones that have walked away from God's design, and that we, not just, not just those people out there that do evil things, me and you in this room are covenant breakers. God wants a relationship with us, but we are the ones that break this covenant, And I want us to show two things about sin that, that would be helpful to this conversation. If we turn on the screen real quick, I'll read it to you. Romans 1.18. It shows one side of sin. It shows one side that says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This is Paul speaking. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, look at this word, suppress the truth. This is what sin does. Paul would continue in this chapter explaining that we have an understanding that there is a creator and that we are man. And he says that what happens is, is the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and righteousness. Because why? We as humans suppress this truth. This is what we do. We take what's true and we choose not to believe it. Right? And if you have children, you know how this works. Right? They suppress the truth all the time. You tell them one thing, and they say, great, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to go do everything else that I want to do. It's literally this idea of suppressing the truth. And this is what we have to understand, even as adults, is that we oftentimes, as Paul would say, know what is right, but we don't do it. We want to do what we want to do. And this is what leads us to our other text this morning, is that we see the, the, the love of our sin. And John, it explains this. It says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people, what did they do? They love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is John speaking. Paul and John explaining that, that we suppress the truth, but we also, it's not just a denial of what's true. It's that we love sin. Is that it offers us hope. What is the essence of sin? Is that it offers us another opportunity, another option. This is what happened in the garden, is that it wasn't just fruit. It was a life outside of God's design, another, an alternate option. And this is what's offered to you and I every single day, is an alternate life, a different option, that with the path called sin we can then choose to be our own people, our own entity that I can walk outside of God's design. And and that's what sin does. And oftentimes, guys, we've been there, I've been there. I wanted it. I wanted my sin, I enjoyed it for a moment. And then what does it leave you? It leaves you empty. It leaves you struggling for more. It leaves you wanting, why didn't that offer up the hope that I thought it would offer my soul? And I'm now emptier than even when I began. This is sin. This is what happens, and this is what God says. He regrets that He made man, because this is what was happening continually. People were forgetting God, forgetting His design, following their own path, killing each other, doing all sorts of terrible things with one another. If you were to read the five verses before, there was all sorts of terrible things happening in the Earth. And this is what we need to understand. It grieves God and says he regrets making man. Recently, I've been um, picking up the game of golf. And uh, that's a sport made by demons in Scotland that we continually come back to. Uh, For some reason, we like this little ball 400 yards away with a club, and we think that that's a good idea. And every time you hit the ball, what happens? You regret the hit that you just took. And what happens is you do this continually. I don't understand this game, yet I keep paying for it but so we keep doing that and we regret every shot every shot regret this but this is what i want us to understand that it's not just oh well i took a shot god i tried and it went to the right in the rough sorry i'll i'll give it another go see this is the thing about sin it's not just a light little oh man i'm sorry i'll put it back in the fairway and give it another go it it grieves god to his heart when we walk away from His design. And many of you would say, Chris, it's not that big of a deal, right? I just just hesitated. I was scrolling and I just lingered a little longer on a picture. Or, or just the, the way I talked to my spouse, it's not that— that leads me to an eternity outside of God? That's awfully heavy, Chris. That's, that's really a kind of a, a, you know, out of proportion, right? And, and this is the thing we need to understand about sin is oftentimes if you take that question, you have not understood the holiness of a perfect God, that God himself is perfect. There is no error, there is no blot. He actually says He is holy and set apart. There is no blemish. To blemish God would make him not God. He is perfect and holy and true. And that's why he has to hold this standard when it comes to sin, is that he has to have this relationship with sin that says, I have perfect justice over sin. I cannot let it exist, for to let it exist is a direct affront to my name and my holiness and who I am. But yet we have this problem because we are a man and we still exist. (laughs) And so he has this dilemma, and this is where God gets to this point that he says that he regrets making man. And so he has to do what he has to do. He says, I have to either start over, and I have to make 2.0, Adam and Eve 2.0, or maybe there's another way. Maybe there's a way that can exist that satisfies my justice, but also regains my covenant love for the image that I created. The people group that I called mine, that have rejected me, walked away from me, but guess what? That I still love. That I still very much care for, that I still want to see thrive on this earth. And what does he do? Look at verse 8. Verse 8, it says, but Noah, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Amen, right? Amen. Like that is like when you see but something in the Bible, man, like that should get you super excited because usually things are going really bad. But all of a sudden God steps in and says, but God did something. He changed the story. He changed the narrative. And maybe someone in this room this morning needs a but God moment because sin breaks, but God makes something new. And this is what God does. It says he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God had a problem, but then God made a plan. And there's only one way. There's always one way. God's plan is is but one way. Noah found favor. So let's look at this next text. Let's read verse 8 with me. It says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Noah make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is three hundred cubits, its breadth fifty cubits, and its height thirty cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower second and third decks. For I, behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. And which is the breath of life under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and every every living thing of flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, birds according to their kinds, and every animal according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve for food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded. So we have a problem, but we also have this plan. And we see the first part of God's plan is that he has chosen a righteous man. A righteous man. Now, interestingly enough, let's look at at this idea of righteousness. that, That the question we need to really ask right at this moment is, why Noah? Uh, okay, so there's potentially hundreds of thousands of people on the earth by this point. How do you get picked? <laughs> like, you know, I'm sure there's, there's probably people lining up. The problem is there's not. In this text, it says that, that no one else. In his generation, he was blameless. And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Look at verse 8 in your Bible. That word favor is the Hebrew word I love this when I found this this week. It's the Hebrew word for grace. It's the Hebrew word called hen. It's the Hebrew word for grace. And so this idea, and I want us to understand the order of salvation. It's important that you know this, how this works. Noah found favor is step one. Oftentimes in Christianity, it seems like we look at, oh, this is understood why he picked Noah. Because look at Noah. He's got a great rap sheet. He's blameless. He's righteous. And he walked with God. Of course he picked that guy. But it's un- we need to understand the order of salvation here. We need to understand is that first and foremost, Noah was favored, bar none. God had set his eye on him. And due to the fact that God set his eye on him, then created sequence of events. I want us to look at some verses here real quick. In, um, where is it? In um, Deuteronomy chapter 7. So I want us to understand real quick that that how God goes about his business. It says, this is speaking of the tribe of Israel. It said, The Lord did not set his affections on you and choose you because you were more numerous than, than other peoples. For you, actually, the tribe of Israel were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. See, God operates not on human terms. See, oftentimes we come to this idea of righteousness or a right standing before God, and we oftentimes think it's, what have I done to earn his favor? It's oftentimes what I have, my, my works is what we would say. And oftentimes other denominations, other, other religions, most religions, would teach a works-based salvation, that you need to do X, Y, and Z at X, Y time, and then therefore you earn little check boxes with that God. The problem is, and the beautiful thing about Christianity, is how do you know if you measure up? How, how do you know if you've done enough? How do you know if you're on good terms? What if you mess up in a sense? There's no grace. There's no, it's a black and white issue. but. The Lord did not set his affections on you if you're saved this morning. He did not set your affections on Israel because they were grand or they had some sort of offering to bring to the table or something that they offered. It was that he loved them. That his affections were set on them because he's God. And he decided that Israel and the people of Hebrew would be his people. Another verse, if we we keep looking in Ephesians, this reminds us what Paul was saying in Ephesians, For he says, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith." By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. It is grace that you have been saved this morning. You have been made right with God. You are righteous before God this morning if you have faith, if you trust God this morning, we would say the blood of Jesus has made you right. For by grace you have been saved. What is grace? Grace is a beautiful thing. It is undeserved favor. It's not getting what you do deserve. In this story, we have to look at ourselves and say, how are we not Noah? Or how are we not the people outside the boat, I should say? And how, how will we ever be Noah, right? Why are we not the ones looking at Noah and saying, bro, why are you building a boat? It's never rained. Like, what are you doing? Why would we think that we would be righteous? But the righteousness comes in our story in verse 8, when Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, when, when the Lord decided that he would be his righteous, redemptive Savior in this story. And that goes back to our own lives. And we look at that list of the three qualities of Noah, we see the first one, he was righteous. That means he was right before God. He's not perfect. If you keep reading the story, he gets off the boat and gets drunk and has a weird like, moment. And so like, he's not a perfect guy. We're not talking about perfection. Righteousness in the Old Testament was that they were a faithful right standing before God, that, that God when looked at him and he found that he wanted to be in a relationship with him. This was not common in this generation. God said he could not find any others. The second thing, it says he was blameless. This means blameless from his neighbors, people that could not br- bring a critique to him. He was blameless, faultless. All of his peers would not say, they probably thought he was crazy building a large boat like this, but they couldn't say anything's wrong with him. Yeah, that guy, yeah, Noah. Yeah, he's over there with his the sons building a boat, you know. But he was blameless. Let me ask you the question. Would, would you consider Would someone consider you blameless? Would, would a peer, would a neighbor, would someone around your workplace say, that guy's, he's a Christian, but there's nothing wrong with him. He, he's kind, he's gentle, he's, he's someone I want to be around. That's what blameless means. This is the kind of guy Noah was in his generation. And the last one, which is the most beautiful thing when you know Genesis chapter 2, is that he walked with God. It says that Noah walked with God. Do you walk with God? It's a beautiful analogy, this idea of walking. It's not running, it's not sitting, it's, not, it's walking. It's a beautiful thing when we celebrate children taking their first steps. They get to that place where they're able to walk, and then we tell them to sit down, of course, but they begin to walk, and it's a wonderful thing. And this is what God wants with you and I. This We talk about this covenant relationship, this relationship that you and I would walk with God every single day, that there would be a conversation happening, that it would be a stroll, that there would be communication, a relationship that we would have with God. Do you have that this morning? Would you say that you feel connected to God? Because this is what Noah had. Noah had a righteousness about himself, that he trusted God, he had faith in God. He was blameless in his generation and he walked with Him. And we see that this was Noah's MO. This is who he was. He walked with God. The second thing we see in this story is a wooden vessel. So the plan for God was to choose a righteous man named Noah and his family. Praise God. And then a wooden vessel. This thing called the ark. Now, I have to admit, it's not in Kentucky. I just drove through there and I saw this giant boat on the side of the highway. It's kind of funny. It's not in Kentucky. All right, so this thing called the ark, this thing is humongous. So the Bible says it was made of gopher wood, which is an unknown wood, but very strong, I'm sure. Um, a cubit, if you're wondering, a cubit is about 18 inches tall. So this boat would have been 400 by 75 by 45 feet. It had a door in the side, and said there was three levels to it. And uh, I have a picture, if you just kind of give a reference of kind of what we're talking about, right? Noah's Ark. So this gigantic boat was what God asked Noah to build, and. Gracefully and wonderfully, we don't see Noah real argumentative about it. (laughs) He just said, okay, God, I trust you. I'll follow you. And it says it took him about, and it says Noah was about 500 years in verse 532, 500 years old. And he was about 600 something years old when he finished it. This boat took him about 100 years to build. So guys, if you're working on some hobbies in your house, um, you know, if it takes 100 years, you know, you're with Noah on this one. So we're all working on something. But, But Noah... Spent a hundred years building a boat when it had never rained. The Bible says that there was this covering that covered the earth that allowed people to live what we see in this text hundreds and hundreds of years longer than we do. There's people living to six, seven, eight, nine hundred years old, and it seems like there was this situation where people could live longer. And he had a hundred years to build this boat. And I want us to think about this ark. I mean, this ark. Um, had, was, was large, obviously, and it had to float. It had to float. It had to be solvent. And the beautiful thing is you study the ark. You know, if you were to go online and really study the history and the science of this thing, it actually does work. God's specifications, imagine that, would actually be right. There's other stories out there. There's about 150 flood stories. If you go from North America to Africa to Europe to, to Asia, there's 150 flood stories that explain in their own kind of way, a man on a boat surviving their God's storm. Uh, and that should give you confidence this morning. There's, I would understand, many of you in this room, there could be some doubt around this story. There could be some doubts. Chris, really? You're telling me that a man on a boat hundred days floated with all of the animals. Like there is definite doubt in this story, but I want to give you confidence this morning that even there are many people that have done research and found many, many evidences that a flood could have happened. We see these things in rock layers in the Grand Canyon and in parts of uh, Europe. There have been scientists that have studied and seen mud layers in random forms um, consistent with a couple thousand years ago there being a massive flood. And, uh, and another question you may have is, how did all the animals even get here? It says, what does it say? It says that two of every living thing, um, two of every kind. And so this would have been two Types of dogs, right? Like a, like a, not a chihuahua, but they brought one on. A chihuahua and a, and a you know, a greyhound or something. They, they brought those two kinds because, and male and female, those and male and female. So there were four dogs. There was four types of giraffe. There was all these different types of animals. And the, the only explanation that we really can get to is that God called them there. That there was God's covenant, God's dominion over all things. He whispered into the ears of all the animals that were, drawing them towards this ark. I mean, imagine this scene, guys. I mean, imagine this scene. Noah's building this boat, and one day all these animals start. I mean, it's just a wild scene, and Noah handles it with grace. He does great with it. And it says that he um, took every form, every food, brought everything onto the ark as it was called he was due. And, And God said, I will make a covenant with you You shall come into the ark with your sons and with your wives. And this boat symbolized salvation. This boat was the symbol of salvation. It was a symbol that there was only one hope here in all of the world. There was only one boat. And you would think, guys, you would think it says in um, Hebrews that, that Noah was a herald of righteousness. You would think that people would be like, man, that's a, probably a good idea. I probably should get in line for this thing. You know, whenever this thing goes down, I'm all in. You know, Noah, line me up. But we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see Noah out there with ropes, dragging his cousins and saying, y'all, come on now, we got to get on this boat. We don't see that. We see no one in this text concerned. It's not that Noah is sitting on this boat going, man, I'm sure glad I made it. No one else did. We, we see Noah just being chosen. And and he's called for this task, and he is set apart to do this task to save the world. And I want us to think about the same kind of thing later. See, God's plan in this story was to wash away all sin through a chosen man and a chosen means because of God's great love for us. Guys, where have you heard this story before? What does this sound like? (laughs) Sunday school, I'm with you, man. Yes, it's Jesus. Where have you heard this story before? We've heard this in our own Savior, Jesus Christ. God's plan to wash away the sins of the world through a chosen man, a chosen means, a wooden vessel so that he might save the world. It is the same story. I sit and preach to you Noah's Ark, but it's, it's Jesus on the cross every time. And it's a beautiful reminder this morning that God has chosen a perfect, sinless, sinless Savior to wash away our sins. But the question still comes to all of us. Is it have you chosen, and in this sense, God chose the man. But, but today we have a choice to, to choose the cross, to choose a life with God, to hide ourselves in the ark of God. See, an ark is just a vessel. It was just basically an empty shell with floors. It says there was one door on the side, an empty, dark vessel. And all there was was the hope of Christ in that vessel. All there was was God's plan, trusting God's plan. And oftentimes, guys, I think we get to that point where we're sitting in the vessel, we're sitting in our lives, and we don't know if God's salvation is really good enough. We don't really know if salvation is really something to be desired. Is it really worth my life? Why can't I just live how I want and at the end get things square and go to heaven? That's not how it works. If we were to look back in Matthew 24, 36 through 39, it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. See, the story is our story. It's still the same story today. That we, one day, will be swept away, just like this morning, hadn't rained in like two months, that just this morning, a rain began to fall. You're like, okay, it rained. But the, the problem with the story is it doesn't stop. And all of a sudden, they're, they're trying to, I, I can imagine this, this idea, and there's this painting by Gustav Doré, and it's called The Deluge, and I can't put a picture on it because it's quite graphic, but it's this picture of a, of the waters and it's just one rock and in the water it's a mother and a father trying to push their child up onto the rock and there's someone on the rock a young man trying to pull the baby up and on the same rock next to this man and this baby is a tiger holding its cub in its mouth both sitting on this rock while buzzards swim around or fly around this is the image of the ark. This is the image of what is happening in this generation is that it is, it is hopeless. This is the last drop of dry earth as people are drowning everywhere, pushing their baby that hopefully it doesn't drown her while a tiger sits there with its cub hoping that it lives. It is a drastic scene, but it is the scene in which we live today that we live in a world wrought with sin, wrought with pain, wrought with death, unless we choose the cross. It is the only way, church. It is ever the only way. And it's oftentimes we don't think of it as such until the waters are too high, until it becomes too much, and we thought we had a chance, and we don't. And there will come a day, it says, these people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Great, beautiful things we should do. They were unaware. And I don't want, as a pastor in this generation, to help us be unaware. At least we have to be aware. If you reject it, that's on you. But at least don't be unaware. They don't, that you, there, was be, there will be a day in which all things will be made right. And praise God for that day. John says at the very end of of Revelation, it says, please, Lord, come quickly. And I think as a believer, we understand why he would pray that prayer. The world is wicked, and we have hope in the cross. And that brings us to our last point this morning. As we think about this ark, that God's plan was to wash away the sins of the world, we see this Jesus as a greater Noah, as a greater illustration of what God's trying to help us see. The beautiful thing about this whole story is that he wants to give us a covenant. Let's look at verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 10. It says, After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So Noah shut up with all the animals, his wife, his kids, into the ark. You thought quarantine was bad. <laughs> After seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep burst forth. And the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. The flood continued 40 days in the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and arose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily in the earth that all—listen to this, guys— all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died And we see the story of a man and his family <laughs> given a, an amazing task to build this boat, to sit in this moment. And I think that what we see here in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1, it says, But God remembered Noah. And I think for a moment, it can be easy for us, for Christians, for Christians in this room this morning, for us to feel like this is our task. That we have been given the ark, we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness, that we've been given this path, and then we feel forgotten. We feel like we're in the midst of this thing. And we begin to maybe think about this idea that it's been about a year now, Noah is on this boat, to begin to question. God, you've killed everything in this world, you've put me on a boat, maybe you've forgotten about me too. And for Christians, I think this is a common question. I think it's a common struggle that sometimes in our lives we ask God, where are you? God, I am in the middle of this raging sea. There's no land. There's nothing to do. My life is being tossed to and fro. I feel way overwhelmed, anxious about everything. Where are you? And this, I think, is a very common expression of of a Christian that we feel this too, that we feel this disconnect from God. But the beautiful thing about God is He's never left. He hasn't gone anywhere. It's our perception. It's we're in the belly of an ark. We don't know what you're doing. We don't know what plans you have. But guess what? Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed and the rain from the heaven were restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat." And basically the waters begin to just drain and the whole thing begins to drain. And he sends out birds and doves and they come back with twigs. and They come back with an olive branch and eventually the dove never returns. And Noah begins to, remember, he can't see. There's just a door. So he has to just hope that it's all done. And eventually the dove doesn't return. He knows, it says he knows, that that God has let the waters um, recede. And so then he said he waited another seven days. And God said to Noah, go out from your ark, you and your wife, your sons and your son's wife with you. Bring on every living thing and fill the earth. In verse 20, look at chapter 8, verse 20, we see Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Verse 21 says, When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. See, the Lord wants our pleasing aroma. He wants our lives. He wants us to obey as Noah obeyed, to be righteous as Noah was righteous, to walk with God as Noah walked with God, and then to our lives, to begin to become a pleasing aroma to him and to our world, that his first act of the new world was an altar to God. That God kept his covenant. Remember we saw in chapter 6, it said, no, I will keep my covenant with you, that I will protect you. And this is what we need, guys, this morning. This is, the, this is the truth that you need to walk away with, is that the promises of God are what sustain us as believers. All we have right now are the promises of God. Faith is believing without seeing, as the Hebrew author told us. All we have is what God says. But the beautiful thing about that is John Piper wrote a book called Future Grace. And I love this book because this idea he calls about in this book is that the past promises of God are actually future promises that we can hold on to. So, so how can I know that things are going to go well in the future is we have to look back and see that God's been faithful the whole time. That God's always kept his promises. That God's always been consistent in who he is and how he relates to us. Therefore, we can then look to our future and say, I can trust God with the things of my life because of what he has done in the past. How he's kept his covenant with Noah. How he begins to keep covenant with Abraham, with David, and with Jesus. And we begin to see all of these covenants come true. And so it helps us hold on to our faith when Jesus says, I'm coming back again for us to go He probably is. (laughs) He he probably is going to do what he said he's going to do. And this is how we live in this tension called the already but the not yet. We're already saved, but we're not yet in heaven. And we live, and every day we walk in the promises of God. And this covenant encourages us. It encourages us, this covenant that he makes with Noah, to never again blot out the world. Because once again... Wouldn't it be easy for Noah's next generation to say, well, I'm, I'm not done sinning, so well God could just flood the world again, start over. There would be a fear in man's heart that this would always happen, that it would be every six months. It's like, all right, we're going through our water thing again. And this all wiped out. But God said, no, 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 no. I wouldn't, I, I'm making a covenant with man. And he says in verse 21, I will never again curse the ground because of... Man, it is our fault. He blames. He puts it right on us. Because of you, I will never again do this. In verse 9, it says, Behold, I established my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark, It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and every living creature. Verse 13 says, I have set my bow in the clouds. And it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and you. God gave us a symbol. I was driving in Friday from vacation. And as I was driving into Spartanburg, like I said, it hadn't rained in a long time. I was driving into Spartanburg, it was dark, like a cloud was over this place. But where I was in North Carolina, it was really light. And rain was coming down. And As I was driving to Spartanburg, this was cool as I was studying this text, a huge rainbow over I-26. And, and, and this is what we see when we see God's acting covenant with us. This is a reminder, guys, to this day. Like, like, isn't this awesome that God put this in Genesis chapter 9, and then thousands of years later, we still see this mark in the sky. That when we look up, we still see God's covenant. that He says, I will never destroy you again. I'll actually save you. And we see this covenant ratified. And covenants are a beautiful thing. I love doing prenatal counseling with my young adults. I love sitting with them and describing to them what a covenant is and helping them see that that's a never-ending bond forever. You do not break that covenant. And God never breaks His covenant. And I was reading with this my daughters last night. If you don't have a Jesus storybook Bible, highly recommend this book, by the way. But in the back of, of the Noah story, right here at the end, Right here at the end, I just want to read the way that they describe this rainbow. It says, And there in the clouds, just where the storm meets the sun, that's why I thought it was cool last night, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, (laughs) but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why before the beginning of time, He had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more. But not on us or his world. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at us. It was pointing up into the heart of his son. Mm. And that's what I want you to see as you leave this place today. As you see that rainbow, where is the arrow pointing? It's not pointing at us. It's pointing at himself. That when Jesus returns thousands of years later after Noah's flood, we see God took that on himself and he made that covenant with himself that I will not destroy you because of sin. I'll put all of it on my son. And I want you to remember that this morning as we think about this beautiful symbol of God's covenant with man. I love that it says, all things are going to go wrong again. <laughs> it's honest. Until Jesus comes back, it's not going to all be fixed. But I ask you this question this morning. We know that sin breaks, but God makes all things new. God makes all things new. And I want to ask you that this morning. Do you have, I like this, sin washed, grace filled, covenant powered relationship with God? This is what Noah had and all the ones that came after him in the line to Jesus. They walked with God. They knew God. And I want you to have that as well this morning. Maybe you're just trying this thing out. Maybe you just came in this morning. You didn't know why you're here. God does. God knows why you're here. And I pray this morning that your, your ears and your eyes would be opened. That if you're on the fence about this whole Jesus thing, that you, you would talk to me afterwards. That you'd hear the, the hope that we can have in Christ? But if you're a Christian this morning, and I I hope that you are, I pray that you would be reminded this morning of God's covenant love for you, that He will never break His covenant. His holiness is your protection. He cannot sin against you, and He loves you. And He wants you to be reminded of that this morning, that you can leave this place this morning confident in His love for you, in His love that He would never flood the earth again. But there is a day coming where all sin will be washed away. Are you right with God? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you right now, God, and we just ask that the truth of this story, God, would not just land on deaf ears. It's not just a Sunday school story, Father. It's not just, it's not just yeah, in the ark and the animals, God. It is, it is our human tendencies, God. It is our lack of love for you. It's our idolatry. It is our choosing other things higher than you, God. It's, it's not that our affections are too high. It's that our affections are too low that we choose things that are worthless. We go for empty cisterns that are filled with hopeless things instead of a perfect right relationship with you. You give us all things that we need, God. You give us life and life eternal, Father. And I just pray right now, God, that if there's anyone in this room that is on the fence, God, that they would just really contemplate life right now. That they would think about their relationship with you. They would think about a loving, holy God that will deal with sin. And praise God, he will. But God, that also means he will deal with sinners. But as we sing, God, we throw ourselves on the cross this morning. And we lift our eyes. We praise the one that can save. So God, help us walk out of this room today and walk throughout our week changed, redeemed, praying for our brothers and sisters that scoff at a cross. There will be a day. I praise things in your name. Amen.